Hi friends, I'm Katherine Means. Welcome to Unlearning the Narrative of Singleness. You are listening to episode 14, Limiting Beliefs. This podcast is for you if you have a single loved one, if you are endeavoring to raise teenagers in a relationship-obsessed culture, if you're a leader in the body of Christ, and last but certainly not least, a single person yourself. Come along as we expose the idol the church has made of marriage by unlearning the narrative of singleness. We aren't unlearning for the sake of being divisive in an ever-segmented, fractured, and divided world, but to cast a vision for what a whole body of Christ could look like if we stopped elevating marriage, all while ignoring the largest unreached people group in our communities, the single adult. Changing the culture isn't easy, but it starts out with the words we use and the stories we tell. Let's learn to tell a new story about singleness together. Oh my goodness, friends, I did not intend to be away so long. Honestly, I didn't intend to be away at all, but have you ever had one of those seasons that sits heavy on your chest? That is what the summer was for me. When the heaviness started, I thought I knew what it was about and willed myself to hold on for dear life, dog paddling through the crashing waves that threatened to take me under. Early in the summer, I began hosting a small group of ladies from my church in my home once a week. This was an offshoot of our ladies community group that took a break for the summer. But those of us who continued to meet were hungry for more of Holy Spirit. We spent all summer exploring what it meant for us to individually enter the secret place regularly. And it is safe to say this new practice has completely revolutionized my relationship with not only Holy Spirit, but all three persons of God. For those who are unfamiliar with the concept of the secret place, let me explain. This is no quote unquote quiet time where there is a reading plan to check off on a list. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's nothing planned and wrote about entering the secret place with Almighty God. The heaviness that made it hard to breathe was on my chest before my practice of entering the secret place began. And honestly, I was hungry because I was desperate for the heaviness to go away. I needed direction. God was asking me to entertain ideas that felt impossible, and I was terrified. <laughs> I needed peace. But as I learned the summer through practice lessons in a great book I read called Beholding by Strawn Coleman, which if you haven't read, you totally need to, like really, really soon. What I actually needed was to enter God's presence behold him and let that beholding men change and grow me. The heaviness lifted. The direction eventually came. The peace is thick enough to breathe in at times. And better than all of those, I have fallen more deeply in love with Jesus. Actually, I'm going to amend the statement that the heaviness lifted. A more accurate statement would be that in the secret place, I learned to let the heaviness take me under the waves that were crashing into me. And it was there that the heaviness did the good work of pushing me even further into the heart of Jesus. And the further I went, the more I knew the summer was a summer of preparation, not production. Thus, the unexpected, unplanned break from the podcast 
And while I hated to leave y'all hanging, I knew that anything I produced this summer would have come from a place of striving and not from the overflow and outpouring of the Lord. But I thought about you a lot and prayed that the Lord would give me a direction to go in with future episodes that would serve you well. Because if it's possible in my summer of preparation, God grew my heart for you in an overwhelming way. The truth is, being a single Christ follower, committed to celibacy and trusting God with joy in the journey he has us on, it's hard, really hard, and we need one another. I want you to know I am here, not just on the other side of your earbuds or car radio, but really here. If you are listening on Spotify, did you know you can leave me a voice message? (laughs) Just click the link on the show page and it will take you to the Spotify for podcasters page where you'll be able to leave me a voice message. This could be anything, a suggestion for a future episode, questions about singleness you can't ask anyone else, or prayer requests. It would be my honor to pray with and for you. And you have my commitment to keep everything anonymous unless you give me permission to share it. For my married friends, I want to hear from you as well. What questions do you have? I hope you'll let me know how I can serve you as well, because we need you in this conversation. If leaving voice messages isn't in your comfort zone, (laughs) please come find me on Instagram at Catherine Means and ask your questions there. Regardless of how you do it, I hope you'll reach out and let me know how I can better serve you in the capacity of this podcast. With so many things vying for your attention, it is not lost on me that you are here and I am so thankful. You might have already guessed, but this is going to be one of those episodes where it's just the two of us, you and your favorite comfy chair and me and mine, and both of us nursing our favorite warm beverage of choice because fall is coming y'all and I'm so excited. (laughs) We'll hearken back to the days of my first podcast. Here's what I know to be true and just sit with each other as I share some of what God has been teaching me this summer about limiting beliefs in an effort to spur you on in your own journey of unlearning. Back at the end of April, I sat with my pastor in a local coffee shop as we talked through a sermon I would be preaching to close out a four-week sermon series on singleness. And since I was going to be landing that plane, I needed to know where we were going. During that conversation, he asked me an outrageous question. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit leading you to lead a church? I laughed out loud and then boldly declared, you are insane. He looked a bit surprised and asked, why? Aghast, wondering why I had to spell it out for him, I exclaimed, because I'm Southern Baptist. We moved back to the topic at hand, my sermon I was preaching, but right before we got up from the table, he sobered and said, Catherine, there is no cap on what God can do through your life. There is no ceiling to what he can and wants to do in and through you. The next Sunday morning, after he preached the first sermon in the series on singleness, we were standing in the back talking with a few others when they found out I would be preaching one of the Sundays. But I couldn't answer the question with a straight face when asked if I was preaching I looked at Pastor Grant for help, but the look on his face made it clear he was not going to bail me out. I would either own it or I would stumble my way through. 
I definitely stumbled my way through saying something about being able to say I'm teaching but not preaching because I'm Southern Baptist. My pastor, with a look of excited exasperation on his face, yes, that's a thing, said, Catherine, we are not Southern Baptist. My head fell in equal parts relief and shame. I took a deep breath and lifted my head and said, I know, but those roots are in me deep. Now, before I go any further, I want to be very clear. There are some roots from my Southern Baptist upbringing that I am beyond thankful for. My deep love and reverence for the scriptures is one of them. All of the many adults who prayed for me and poured into my life as a child, teenager, and young adult are another. And while the people may not have been perfect and some even failed in ways that marked me, They also spoke truth and life over me that the Lord used to draw out all of the goodness he put in me for his glory to begin with. Family is beautiful and messy and necessary and complicated. And if that can be said of nuclear families and families of origin, why should it be any different in spiritual families? One of the complications I have with my spiritual family and the Southern Baptist tradition is my call to leadership. It's a call first recognized by my youth pastor in the eighth grade when he selected me as the female representative of my eighth grade class on the student leadership team. Back then, I didn't recognize it for what it was, but in recent years, as I have wrestled with the call of God on my life, it's been a tremendous comfort that this thing didn't just come out of nowhere, but has always been in me. My first year of college, I stumbled upon this beautiful imagery of submission in marriage. To that point, the word submission was like nails on a chalkboard to my exennial heart. But after picturing a rib, a woman, protecting the vital organs of a person, the character and integrity of a man, to the point of being broken, I was sold. That wasn't weakness, that was strength, and I wanted to play my part. As a woman with a lot of words, she had no problem projecting at a volume everyone could hear, and who did not mind being the center of attention, it's easy now to see how God's good gifts in me would lend to teaching and leading. But in my early 20s, I was asked by more than one man of a similar age if I could be quiet. Comments of the gentle and quiet spirit mentioned in 1 Peter 3 were made and partnered with my lack of a dating life cemented in me that I needed to appear more submissive. And so I made my voice smaller. Then in my mid-20s, I had the audacity to pray a big prayer and dream a big dream. I asked God to teach me so that others could be taught. I was working for a ministry at the time and more than one person called out my ability to teach and minister to a large amount of people. And while I grabbed onto those words for dear life, my imagination of how that would be accomplished was limited to ministering under the covering of my husband, as in it would only be possible for me to teach and minister at the level I sensed God wanted me to if I got married and partnered with my husband in said ministry, which unfortunately meant that my plan and development as a teacher slash speaker was on hold until I got married. Nine years would go by 
the better part of a decade when life got so hard and disappointing and not at all how I had hoped. And I forgot that I prayed that prayer and thought the dreams I dreamed were the frivolous fantasies of a young woman who was desperate to know she mattered. But then God gave me the position at Teen Advisors, proving to me that he remembered the call on my life. In fact, he never forgot watching over his word on my life, just like Jeremiah 1 states, making sure it is fulfilled. Fast forward another three years when the Lord redeemed my singleness in the most heartbreakingly beautiful way. And if I'm honest, that is when this tension in me began, although I'm not sure I would have named it as such then. What I was discovering about my singleness was throwing the call of God on my life into all sorts of shadows because of the complementarian roots of my Southern Baptist foundation. And all of a sudden, I found myself sitting across the table from my egalitarian pastor who was giving me an entire Sunday's message to share what it means to be single on purpose to his church. And he was urging me to believe that God was not putting a ceiling on what he could do in and through me because of my gender. In the following weeks, as I prepared and preached and led and answered questions, I continued to wrestle with the Lord. Surrounded by community who saw my gifting and benefited from it, I was confronted with the question, would I shrink back knowing that if my own family was gossiping about my calling behind my back, I would surely get hit with backlash from time to time? Or would I lock arms with those who believe in this call of God on my life and push forward in obedience? One particular day of wrestling back at the end of May had me in the bathroom at work as the internal dialogue sounded something like this. God, I remember asking you to teach me so that others could be taught. I remember, but I was supposed to do this with my husband. I was supposed to do this under the covering of a husband. I think my resistance is because I don't know how to do this alone without a husband, as a woman, as, as a single woman. Some versions of those same statements and questions made their way round and round my mind all day. As I answered phone calls and emails, as I chatted with co-workers, as I participated in meetings, the limiting belief soundtrack in my head was, I can't do this without a husband. And then with 30 minutes left in the day while listening to a worship song I cannot remember, I heard Holy Spirit's words, I cannot forget. You are doing it with your husband. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. My head fell chin to chest as I wept. In the coming days, the resounding question of my heart was, does the will of God for my life, my singleness, then disqualify me from the call of God on my life? I've determined that no, it doesn't. It would be against God's nature if it did. I don't share this very personal story and journey that I'm still uncovering with the Lord to cause confusion or division. You come here to unlearn the narrative of singleness, not gender roles within the church, and I certainly do not want to be a stumbling block to anyone. I simply want to demonstrate how our limiting beliefs 
can impede our unlearning. And often, as we unlearn one thing, it leads to another thing we need to investigate with the Lord. And investigate I have, throwing myself into word studies and books written by people far smarter than myself. And my spirit is settling, if not settled, and moving forward with the Lord in this journey of leadership. I understand how this might be a bit unnerving for some of you. Maybe you're asking yourself, do I really want to start down the road of unlearning? What else am I going to have to tackle? Where will it end? I get that, friends. I truly do. What is also true is what Alvin Toffler said in his 1970 book, Future Shock. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. The mark of the humble, friends, is their teachability. And who is safer than Holy Spirit to teach us? He is trustworthy, friends. It's time to lean in. So let's get down to business, because if it's time to lean in, sometimes we need to know what that looks like practically. One limiting belief holding us back in singleness is the fear of failure. I think most single Christ followers know they should be content in their singleness, as we certainly hear about it enough from married Christ followers as a surefire way to prove to God you are ready for a spouse. Insert sarcasm here. While we know we should be content, we aren't. And added to that, we're afraid to talk about it and ask for practical advice on how to get there, especially when we still desire to be married one day. Why narrow this down to a fear of failure? Because of the narrative I just mentioned. Somehow we have made contentment in our singleness a formula that makes God beholden to give us a spouse. The amount of times I have had someone interrupt me in the middle of honestly describing what it is like to live in an extended season of singleness with, oh, but I know of the story of my second cousin twice removed who had completely given her singleness to God, and then the next month she met her husband. Hear me. I am not making light of that story. I love that for your second cousin twice removed but that has not been my experience or the experience of many singles I've spoken with. Even more dangerous is it is in its own way, a prosperity gospel. What does have a tendency to happen is we hear a story like that, get really serious about drumming up contentment for a good bit of time and then fizzle out when nothing happens for us. It can feel very much like we failed ourselves and the Lord single Christ follower. If no one has told you yet, you can be content in your singleness at 9am on a Tuesday, discontent around 4pm the next day, content again on Saturday morning when you got to sleep in as late as your body would let you, only to be discontent again when you don't have any plans for that evening. It is called the human condition, not just singleness. How many parents love their children all while feeling they are going to pull their hair out if they don't have any quiet in the house? Do we have any parents listening who can attest to this? Married friends 
who wants to be the first to admit that they would take a bullet for their spouse, but if they have to sit across from them during one more meal as they talk with their mouth open, they are going to push them off a cliff. I jest, but single friends, if you are waiting to be content in your singleness every minute of every day, you are going to be miserable for a long time. But if you make peace with the hard days of singleness, just like a married person makes peace with the hard days of marriage or a parent makes peace with the hard days of parenting, God can work in your obedience to remain present and where he has you in your life right now. And if you're saying under your breath, but Catherine, there isn't much I love about being single. How can I be content about a life I wouldn't have chosen? Friend, humbly, I would say to you, your life is not your own. And I would bet good money that if you have Holy Spirit living inside of you, You have plenty of things in your life you love and are thankful for. But friends, remember, comparison is cancer for contentment. Stop comparing the best of your life with the best of someone else's and just live your life. You only get one. Another limiting belief that is so buried in us. I'm almost positive you've never uttered the words out loud. And if you have, your brave soul hasn't had more than a handful of conversations about it your whole life. If I don't get married, if I don't have children, there will be nothing to show for my life. What legacy do I have to leave as a single person? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being rewarded day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'll admit, we can see the fruit of a marriage, godly or ungodly. In a marriage, we see a spouse, possibly children, a family. But as a culture in the church and in the world, we don't see singleness. The fruit of godly, purpose-filled singleness is not as easily seen as the fruit of a marriage in the form of a bouncing, giggling baby or 20 happy years together. Oh, but friends... (laughs) That fruit is no less real. Take the fruit of the Apostle Paul, for example. Over the course of 13 years, he planted at least 14 churches, having traveled over 7,000 miles to do so. Or the fruit of Amy Carmichael, single missionary to India for 55 years, who opened an orphanage there and wrote 35 books about her missionary work. Or the fruit of Corey Ten Boom, that left me a weeping, repenting mess at my desk as I researched her life so I could use her as an example in this short paragraph, which is no longer going to be a short paragraph. I remember sitting with my grandmother in her living room as a young teenager asking her about the book she was reading, The Hiding Place by Corey Timboom. Because I was a young teenager, I assumed the author, this courageous woman my grandmother was telling me about, was a young woman, maybe in her 20s. 
And while every time I thought of Corrie ten Boom over the years, whenever someone quoted her in print or in a sermon I was listening to, I always saw her old face smiling back at me with her white hair gathered in a bun on the top of her head. I assumed she was in her 20s, maybe 30s, when our family was defying the government by saving some 800 Jews through the Dutch resistance during World War II. Throughout the years, it dawned on me that she remained single all her life. So, the image of a young woman going through such trauma of losing her father and sister to concentration camps, one that she herself survived due to a clerical error, and then spending the next 33 years of her life sharing her story and the gospel around the world in 64 countries, it made sense to me that she simply did not have time to marry and settle down. But as I sat at my computer researching her life, imagine my surprise when I realized she was 51 years old when she was arrested by the Nazis. 51 years old. Her sister Betsy was single, never married, and 58. Y'all, what? I mean, way to bury the lead for the better part of 80 years, church. In my research, I found a voice recording of Corey sharing a story of when she was young, probably around the age I imagined her smuggling Jews into her home. Instead, it is a normal story of heartbreak and unrequited love. She had fallen in love with a young man, but instead of him coming to her home and asking her father for her hand, he came to her home and brought along his new fiance to introduce her as his mother had not approved of Corey because of her family's social standing. When the two left, Corey ran to her bedroom and she shared that she was utterly heartbroken. Her father came to her room to comfort her, much like he did when she was a child, and he said to her, Corey, love is the strongest force in the world, and when it is taken away, it hurts very deeply. And the important thing to do is to find another channel through which love can travel. In response to her heartbreak, Corey said she called out to the Lord saying, Lord Jesus, I belong to you lock, stock and barrel. I surrender this part of my being that is wounded. She went on to say, I've had a very happy life and Jesus has taken care so for me that I have never become a frustrated old spinster. At this point of the recording, there was laughter from those she was speaking to, but she did not entertain the laughter, boldly speaking over them and saying, but I had to surrender my if only. Before there was the Cory Ten Boone of the hiding place, she was a faithful servant of Jesus who surrendered her entire life. She had a keen sense for business and the decisions she made blessed the family and their business financially. She also became Holland's first female watchmaker, traveling internationally to Switzerland to do so. With her sister Betsy, she cared for three elderly aunts who lived with them until they passed and then cared for their mother after she suffered a stroke until she died when Corey was 29 years old. In addition to working in her father's shop, she created a youth club for teenage girls that provided Bible studies and other classes that taught them important life skills. The fruit of Betsy and Corey Tim Boone's one and single lives are so vast, only eternity knows the weight and extent of them. 
and speaking of the fruit of those who lived single. There's the fruit of Jesus himself. And friend, to make that very personal, you are some of the fruit of Jesus's full, perfect, whole, complete, single life. You. Scotty Smith said, may we let the ultimate narrative of scripture narrate us. And friends, the narrative of scripture is Jesus. From cover to cover, scripture narrates the story of God's redemptive plan through Jesus. For some, that redemptive plan includes marriage. For others, it does not. But we have let the beautiful gift of marriage narrate us too much. And as a result, we have so limited our belief that singleness is good and has purpose that we don't have the imagination for it. Friends, it's time to ask God to increase our imagination regarding singleness. If marriage and children distract us from the Lord, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35, that it does. And King Jesus is on the move in Gen Z right now during their years to date and get married. It makes sense to me. It is obvious to me that even more and more young people will put off getting married until later if they ever get married at all which is a clarion call for the older generations to pay attention to the things that matter most. Otherwise, we will be schooled on this by the younger generations. Friends, marriage is not the end goal in any shape or form. Marriage is a metaphor, a beautiful metaphor, but a metaphor nonetheless of God's union with his bride, the church. And if I had to guess... God is raising up a generation who will not choose marriage just because it is the next thing to do in their life. But they will be so joined to the already and not yet marriage with Christ that they will not settle for a marriage apart from the will of God. Jesus, have mercy and grow our imagination, Lord. God, we repent for the idol we have made of our good gift of marriage. Give us your eyes to see our lives and the lives of our loved ones. Give us a vision for what it would look like to celebrate the fruit of singleness devoted to you, similar to the ways we celebrate the fruit of marriage. Jesus, give my married friends the voice of Casper Ten Boom when he encouraged his broken-hearted daughter, saying the important thing to do is to find another channel through which love can travel. Jesus, give my single friends the bravery of your beloved daughter, Corey, when she said, Lord Jesus, I belong to you, lock, stock, and barrel. I surrender this part of my being that is wounded. And Jesus, knowing you as I do, having done the same, I know you will meet them. I know you will redeem their unwanted singleness. And in doing so, you will invite them into redeeming singleness in your body. Friends, married and single alike, I have some homework for you. If you're up for the challenge, and I hope you are, I want you to carve out some time with Jesus. Grab your Bible and a journal and spend some real time with him delving into these questions. I'll put them in the show notes to reference later. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what is it that you have to say to me about relationships? 
in general and in those specific to my life. Single friends, has God spoken anything to you about singleness or your desire to be in a romantic relationship? Have you asked or are you too afraid to ask him? If so, why? Married friends, has God spoken anything to you about the singleness of a loved one or your desire for them to one day be married? Have you asked or are you too afraid to ask him? If so, why? As you prepare to leave this time with him, how are you processing what he has shown you? Ask him for wisdom and how to put to work what he has shown you. Friends, it's so good to be back with you. And I have a lot of ideas for future episodes. What is also true is what I said at the beginning of this episode. I want to hear your ideas and what you need. So please reach out in all the places. I'll have all my social media handles linked in the show notes. Also, Coaching with Catherine, Learn to Love Your Right Now Life is still offering discounted prices and I would love to partner with you. You can sign up for a free 30-minute discovery session to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. And I'll drop that link in the show notes as well. Friends, we aren't meant to do life alone. And while the options I just listed shouldn't be a replacement for in-person community, I also know how hard it can be to start over after an extended absence. So if you need a spiritual mom to hold your hand until you're ready to try again, I'd be honored to be that for you. I'll be coming back at you with Limiting Beliefs Part 2 soon, but until then, friends, may Jesus blow up the box you have him in the same power that resurrected him from the dead and shatter any belief you are living under that is holding you captive. And may the freedom you experience as a result speak to your heart a worth that no other person ever could.